Welcome to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What's up, Todd? Hey, oh, hey, Corey. Coming to you live from Florida. Sunny Florida. All right. Well, last time we talked about the leaked Supreme Court decision that would overturn Roe v. Wade. And the story continues this week. Utah Senate candidates Evan McMullen and Becky Edwards both uh, independently announced that they do not believe Roe should have been overturned. So, Todd, last week you reminded us that both of these candidates were pro-life at one time. Seems like some things have changed. McMullen changing his mind, in, to, to my mind, like it's inexplicable that he's changed his mind, but I guess you can somewhat understand his rationale to some extent because he's trying to serve more or less as the Democratic candidate. Yeah. But Becky, honestly, I can't for the life of me understand what her strategy is. You know, she's competing – Maybe this needs to be said to her. I don't know. She's competing in a GOP primary in Utah. (laughs) Well, I I think she knows that. But I also think a lot of her fundraising has come from um, Park City type, you know, either uh, Democrats or very moderate Republicans. And she probably wants to continue to raise money from them over the next uh, week, uh, month and a half or so. And I I think you are right. It makes more sense for Evan McMullen because he's a November candidate. and He needs Democrats to have a chance, but Becky can, I mean, there are Democrats obviously who have registered as Republicans, but um, there's not as many as people feared. And um, we changed the law on that. So you had to register as a Democrat like a month ago or so uh, if you were gonna vote. I mean, you had to register as a Republican a month ago or so. So there's no um, last minute switching anymore after what we saw with Governor Huntsman's campaign in 2020, uh, Jordan Tusher ran a bill and kind of uh, moved back that deadline or moved it up, however you want to think, uh, say about it. But you have to, you have to switch parties earlier now before it, mm-hmm. like, before it's like right in the heat of the campaign. That's a good bill. But anyway, you know, so she, <laughs> she, she now, I mean, to me, that seems like a deal breaker, but you know, maybe she sees it differently. The other thing of uh, aspect about it, I think it's kind of interesting. We saw Governor Cox came out and said that um, he, he doesn't think that our trigger law needs to be adjusted to become more strict. And we don't have to debate like what, whether it should or shouldn't. And I think, you know, there'll be time to debate that, but I just wanted to point out to me, like, it's interesting where, again, once again, it's just really interesting where he chooses to throw his weight around because again, I'm, I'm not saying if he's right or wrong, but he's pretty consistent about where he puts his foot down and it seems to be on these social issues. Well, yeah, and I I tend to agree with him on this one. I think that our our trigger law is fine the way it is. Um, like I said last week, I do expect there will be a bill to tighten it up and to re- eliminate some of those restrictions. And I don't expect that bill will pass. Um, but you know, I've been wrong before, and I'll be wrong again. So, but that's my prediction. I'm sticking with it. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like uh, it's probably likely. All right. Then my last thought on this is we saw multiple high schools. We had students leave school and protest and man, the Salt Lake Tribune was just eating it up and wanted to cover every second of it and every twist and turn. And I guess my, the point, the only thing that I'd like to say is it's pretty clear to me at this point that the high school students of Utah have figured out that they can skip school and adults will cheer them if they protest for whatever the left left wing cause of the week is. Yep. Uh, It's great to be a high school student in 2022 because there are, (laughs) so many liberal causes that you can walk out of school on and, and you're not going to get in trouble apparently 
whether it's it's abortion or, or or COVID mandates or or whatever. And you know, a couple of months ago they were, uh, you know, they protested the lifting of the mask mandates. I mean, when when have you want when have you seen high school kids <laughs> want more government restrictions on what they do? Like, no, make us wear a mask. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's the clearest sign that that's not why they're outside. I mean, it's maybe a few of them are, it's the, a wonder. I mean, they are living their best lives. I mean, just God bless them. For I, the I, record, I don't care what the issue is. Like if my kids are leaving school, I'm going to be, we're going to have a talk afterwards. I'm gonna Corey, I think we can agree. These kids are way smarter than you and I were. Why? Oh, no, indeed. Yeah. This? I mean, we were sitting there doing our homework and sitting in study hall and going to gym class. These kids are out doing whatever, whatever they want to. And they're doing it in the name of some liberal, the liberal cause of the day. So they're, uh, they're ahead of the arc of uh, yeah. where justice is bending. In other news, COVID is uh, still skipping along in the background, but this week, Governor Cox and Speaker Brad Wilson both announced independently, that is, that they have COVID. And the only reason I bring this up is, is this even noteworthy at this point, and should we care? Uh, I think it is noteworthy, and, and I'm, I've heard not from the governor. I, I talked to the governor last Monday and his wife, and on Thursday, I learned that they both had come down with COVID, or at least the governor had, and so my wife and I were we had uh, dinner, we were at dinner with them and talked to them. And my wife said, should we go get checked? I'm like, we only talked to them for five or six minutes. I, I don't think we got COVID from them. But in any event, I, I understand he's, he's pretty sick. Um, oh, he's, really? Yeah. And, you know, um, he's missing events. And I know the Lieutenant Governor then, you know, has to step up and, you know, do his appearances for him. So, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of a big deal. Um, when two of the three two of the let's say five top leaders of our state both get COVID at a time when we pretty much thought the pandemic was over I, I think that's a big a big deal I don't, I don't know how sick Brad Wilson is but I I attended virtually a state central committee meeting yesterday for the Utah Republican Party and, and Brad Wilson did not participate and neither did the governor but neither did 60 other people who were supposed to be there so and probably none of them had COVID so all right. I don't, I don't want to, if he's feeling sick, I don't want to make light of it, but yeah. I guess my overarching point is uh, we're at a, we're at a stage in, in COVID where hospitalizations have, have stayed there. There has been an uptick in States as far as actual contraction of COVID, but the hospitalization well, rate has stayed the same. Yeah. I fully expect that this fall we'll have, you know, there'll be another uptick in late fall, uh, early uh, winter. We'll have another big uptick and people will be sick, but probably won't be going to the hospital. Well, and let's just let's let's just acknowledge the fact, Corey. COVID is going to be around the rest of my life, the rest of your life. Uh, right. before, you know, um, there will be people getting their twenty-fifth vax probably, <laughs> maybe two years from now. I don't know. Um, and I think you know, I think it's mostly endemic now. It's it's still serious. Some people will still die of COVID, um, and uh, but but not a lot. You sent me an interesting chart this week that showed. Basically, if if you are under sixty five, your chances of dying. I mean, the the, the deaths per age group uh, of COVID over the past two years, they're almost obviously almost all above sixty five, and that was a really interesting chart um, to go through. I don't know if you had any impressions on that. Yeah, I mean, if you're in your eighties, then uh, then it's you know might be two or three percent of the population. You know, 
your chances of dying, but yeah, I'm 42 and my chances are, you know, one in one in 60,000. Um, so, I mean, the amazing thing to me is if you're 90 years old and you get COVID, you still have like a 96% chance of surviving. I mean, yeah, that yeah. is kind of incredible for something that, you know, that is targeting the elderly and, and other things. Uh, by the way, uh, just a little insight to my life as a legislator. I get invited to do a lot of tours and things that I wouldn't otherwise do. So I did a tour last week of LDS Hospital and uh, the old one, you know, the and they're going to build a new LDS hospital, if you haven't heard, uh, downtown Salt Lake uh, in the next 10 years, where the Sears used to be, uh, 8th South um, and Main Street, between Main Street and State Street. I asked him, I said, well, you're not going to kick out those taco stands, are you? Because that's, that's the only place Governor Huntsman ate when he was governor. Um, and they said, oh, no, that's the number one question we get. The taco stands will stay. <laughs> But they were kind of bragging and good on them that, um, you know, when, when COVID started, you know, the, well, this is my words, not theirs, but if people got um, intubated, it was kind of the kiss of death. I mean, most of the beginning, most of them got COVID, but they were talking about um, that uh, they were less than half of the national average of deaths of COVID patients who were intubated. And, And they talked about some, basically some protocols that they, um, that they developed themselves that a lot of others have copied and, and things like just getting people up and walking them around the hospital ward every day, um, even though they were intubated. But they said that, that there are things that they did that they figured out. It literally doubled the survival rate of people intubated with COVID. So mm, nice. We, we have great health care in Utah. And I think it's easy to overlook that. It's a good feel good story. Yeah. All right. So an issue that we've neglected for the past several weeks that's been raging is uh, immigration. Yes. At a recent Senate hearing, Senator Mitt Romney blasted Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas for the administration's failure to secure the U.S. border with Mexico. The U.S. Border Patrol has reported more than one million encounters. And again, it's still May. So one million encounters with migrants. They're on pace to crush last year's record of one point seven million. We'll probably reach that in the next few months. And that doesn't account for the removal of Title 42. For those who don't follow this, it's arcane, but it matters. Title 42 allows for the expulsion of migrants during COVID. So this is a a Trump era rule that says we're not going to let you in because because COVID is raging and we have no way to check to see if you have COVID. So although the current administration, the Biden administration believes that the pandemic is still raging enough to litigate mask mandates and to force those. Apparently things are fine and dandy at the border, so it's okay. They're set to lift this uh, this uh, Title 42 immigration policy in a couple of weeks. Title 42 is the only thing keeping the tidal wave of migrant immigration into the U.S. from crashing. It is really is. It's holding back the tide. Even a half a dozen Senate Democrats are calling for the president to keep it in place. So I just want to give kudos to Romney for calling out this failure and saying that the uh, Department of Homeland Security needs a, a leadership change. And uh, here, here to that. Um, when it comes to the Biden administration, it's always been a double standard with COVID with American citizens, you and me and others, and COVID with immigrants, um, undocumented immigrants from Mexico. And, and that double standard is continuing. So that's, that's what you're describing. And so let's be clear. Um, we had a border crisis. We had parents, I mean, children separated from parents under Obama. 
The media didn't cover it. They didn't care. We had that same crisis under Trump. The media covered it like it was headline news every day. And Trump was a horrible person. That crisis that that crisis that we had under Trump has gotten 10 times worse under Biden. The media dropped it like it doesn't even matter. We still have children being separated from parents, not always their parents, uh, but we right. learned. Uh, but the, 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 the immigration crisis, the border crisis has gotten maybe not 10 times worse, but significantly at least three to five times worse under Joe Biden's leadership. And, and if Title 42 goes away, it will be 10 or 20 or 30 times worse. And you can barely find any coverage in the media um, except when it's Kamala Harris trying to come up with another excuse as to why she was assigned this, but she's not doing anything about it. And she did finally get shamed, I think, to visiting the border. But um, if you don't believe in media bias, um, you're not paying attention uh, because under Trump, this was and again, every time we hit a milestone, we had a million COVID deaths um, very recently. And the media didn't cover it because Trump is not the White House. If Trump right. had won re-election and we hit, you know, 800,000, 900,000, a million, it would have been headline news for days. But because Biden's in the White House, significantly more people have died uh, under Joe Biden of COVID than under Trump. So Title 42, again, this, is, this has been the Democrats' lifeline because their actual policy is, once again, we talked about this uh, in a, in, on a prior episode, but their their actual policy is to basically let any any immigrant come up to the wall or come up to the to the border and say, "I am uh, I'm seeking asylum um, and uh, I'm I fear for my life or whatever." And they and the answer for the Biden administration is, "Okay, great, come on in." And uh, at some point, we'll we'll adjudicate that. Here here's your court date, and they're like, "Oh, great, yeah, I'll be back. I'll see you." No, they won't. So this this tidal wave of people, it's not like they're going to be stopped in another way. So uh, Senator Romney, I think he, he called it right. He said we need to keep President Trump's remain in Mexico policy, which requires asylum seekers to return to Mexico to wait for their asylum hearing rather than coming into the U.S. But it is the Biden administration's policy to let them in. So essentially, if you come to the door and you say, I'm seeking asylum, you're going to get in. And Title 42 is the only thing that's kept that back. It's been actually a lifeline for them. Yeah. And they know that. It's they safe. actually really yeah. know that. Yeah. But, uh, but they have too much pressure from, the, from their left wing. So I don't know if they're going to be able to hold it. Now, Democrats, there's enough Senate Democrats to get 60 votes on, a, on an amendment. Um, to, and I think that this, this could very well happen if, uh, on the next COVID funding bill. But there's, there's more than 60 votes with Democrat support to keep title 42 in place. Yeah. So that'll be really interesting to see. Yeah. The, the Democrats, uh, well, the Democrats that are more moderate and from swing States, uh, not just Joe Manson and, and Kristen Sinema, they, they've, they've told Biden, you, you need to keep title 42, which, you know, again, under Trump title 42 was the worst thing in the world because again, yeah. it, you can use that as a weapon to hit, you know, you could, you know, swing that baseball, that title 42 baseball bat at Trump's head. Uh, but now that, you know, Trump is gone, at least for <laughs> for these four years, now uh, people are now they're stepping up to defend it. So it's there's a lot of hypocrisy uh, going around completely. All right. So next topic, this one, this one is just delightful. So uh, our representative Burgess Owens, congressman, 
He's co-sponsored a bill to immediately defund the administration's Ministry of Truth. So the Department of Homeland Security, once again, uh, the Secretary uh, Mayorkas told Congress that that, uh, DHS is creating a disinformation governance board to combat, quote, misinformation as we near the year's midterm elections. So the Biden administration's new, uh, what they call Committee on Public Information, it's going to be led by this woman, uh, Nina Jankowitz. And Jankowitz is a radical leftist who tried to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story and did, you know, anything that didn't toe the party line on COVID. She, she was anti that. She's probably the worst possible choice in the history of, like, of nominations. Uh, a character straight out of a dystopian novel. So spoiler alert, misinformation from their standpoint is essentially whatever progressive media doesn't like or anything that uh, doesn't toe the Biden party line or that hurts him in any way. So the bill that uh, Congressman Owens has co-sponsored would prohibit the use of federal funds to establish the disinformation board. I got a question for you, though, Todd. This woman, the new uh, the new disinformations are she wants to grant editorial power to the the blue checks on Twitter. And for all those of us who, you know, if you don't follow Twitter, some people have blue checks. That makes them special. Todd, you happen to be a blue check. I have a blue check. And I am so special. so is oh. this is this the genius idea you've been waiting for? She wants to give you editorial uh, discretion to be able to change my uh, tweet. So so Nina, um, she also was tweeting that uh, years a couple a few years ago, five years ago, that the election was stolen from Hillary Clinton. Uh, due to you know Russian <laughs> Russian interference, so yeah, she's a perfect candidate, you know, to know what. So so let's break this down for you. You and I are not smart enough to know what to believe. So we need the Biden administration. We need Nina to come riding in on her white horse to let us know this story is okay and this one's not. You know, and that that's that's what this is about. Um, Americans apparently are very very dumb. And they, they, they won't know what to believe unless Joe Biden's White House tells them what to believe. This is, um, you know, spoon feeding, you know, and I'm being facetious, of course, but what this really is, it's a way of, of killing and blacklisting stories and journalists and publications that are not towing the liberal progressive storyline. Well, it's amazing that they their disinformation board is going to be run by a woman who is so outspoken on these things and so wrong, so outspoken, so sure of herself and so wrong. And I mean, what is that? Like you said, it's a message to the American people that they think we're stupid. This isn't even I mean, it it goes beyond partisanship to just just uh, I don't know. It's a it's offensive to me. But anyway, kudos to uh, (laughs) Congress. Congressman Burgess Owens, way to get out there and push back on this. I mean, I got to imagine even some Democrats are like, ah, disinformation ministry, like that's not a good idea. All right, last topic, a little political buzz. So uh, earlier this week, just the last couple of days ago, I think, um, Carson Jorgensen, chair of the GOP in Utah, released a statement saying the party should be involved with developing the uh, GOP primary debates. And this is a battle against the, the Utah Debate Commission. So Ali Isaman, Becky Edwards, both, uh, both um, pounced on this and said, uh, you know, kind of accused Lee of hiding behind the party to avoid debates. Others have said, you know, like the Trib, of course, they're saying, well, you don't want it because you don't want to get asked hard questions and so forth. 
I think Carson is, I don't know, it's pretty straightforward. Like, it's our primary. We should focus on stuff that we care about. And we should be able to do it. But yeah, uh, I, what do you think, Todd? I could argue either side of this, but because you're on that side, I'm going to take the other side. So first of all, if you want to serve in the U.S. Senate, um, you should be willing to take a question from anybody at any time, especially if it's on statewide TV. And if you can't handle it, you know, there's Democrats in the Utah Senate. I don't know if you knew that, Corey. There are Democrats <laughs> in the Utah Senate. There are Democratic reporters in Washington, D.C. If you can't handle a question from a Democrat, then maybe, maybe you shouldn't run for the U.S. Senate. That, that's that's my cynical take on this. So, so real quick, though, Todd, does that is that I, I take from from your response that you do think that they that that there's something to the, the Isom and Edwards critique of Lee that he is hiding? Well, well, no. Um, I don't know if it's coming from Lee or if it's coming from um, some of the far right elements of the party. So Carson's argument, this was discussed at our state central committee meeting yesterday. Carson's argument is if you look at the debate commission, I think there's 10 Republicans and 10 Democrats. He's saying, why should those 10 Democrats have any say in our Republican primary debate? It's fine if they have a say in November, right? Because Right, well, sure. I guess we won't have a Democrat in November. We'll, we'll, we'll need to change that debate commission so there's 10 independents like Evan McMullen. I'm just kidding. But he's saying, why should these Democrats have any say in our Republican primary? And I understand his position from an intellectual standpoint. But, but again, um, Mike Lee's ahead in the polls. Mike Lee's the incumbent. Mike Lee has the fundraising advantage by like 2,000%. I don't think, uh, to the extent that the party is trying to protect him, and this is my party, it's your party, I don't think Mike needs the protection. I think he's going to be just fine. And all you're doing now is giving people uh, an opportunity to, you know, to legitimately criticize the process. So. Well, I certainly agree that he doesn't need our protection. And to the extent that that is the, the, the proximate cause of this, then I think your argument makes some sense. I don't know that that really is it. Isn't this more of a food fight about like, we should be able to ask our questions and not be subject. Then again, I mean, you, you can have both. You could still so what, have a. What I heard yesterday was they want they uh, car, the party wants um, the debate commission to submit five, five potential moderators and they would pick one of the five. Uh, the party would pick the one from the five and they want the, uh, the, the commission to uh, submit in advance the questions the candidates would be asked and then the party would pick whatever, what questions that they would allow. So, you know, I, 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 can't, I, can't, I can't get behind what the party's doing here. I understand why they're doing it. Um, it's not the worst argument I've heard, uh, but I think it's kind of silly. The moderator thing makes a lot of sense to me because there's, uh, there's a lot of media in Utah that you could choose from that I think would be really inappropriate for a GOP primary. When it comes to the questions, I mean, we don't want to be scared of questions. On the other hand, I personally don't want to hear like uh, some trib columnist asking a bunch of questions about on and on and on about Trump. Like, I don't care. Yeah. We want to, we want to hear what they feel about the issues uh, when it, as it regards to the platform. Right. Yeah. Well, and uh, I'm going to be a little bit more cynical. This is a June primary when a lot of people, I think it's going to be a, a very low turnout, right? Even though we're mailing ballots to every registered voter. Um, I think that the people that actually tune in to the debates are either people that will, will be people that either already love Mike Lee and they're just tuning in to cheer him on, people that already hate Mike Lee. And I think there will be very few undecided voters that actually tune in. <laughs> 
and make the decision based on the debate. I think the debates will get um, very low viewership. Um, that, 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 so I'm, so I, I, I just, I think this is much ado about nothing. Because it's, I mean, it's going to be broadcast on PBS or something, yeah. right? It's not, or, yeah. or KBYU. It's it not it might be, be a simulcast on like Channel 2, Channel 4, and Channel 5. But, you know, it's like on a Tuesday evening or something when most people aren't, you know, at home glued to their TV. And remember, even if it was on four stations at once, everybody's got, you know, streaming plus, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, 80 yeah. other stations. It's not like they have to watch a debate now. People in our household, other than me, would be like, ah, nope. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like, where's the bachelorette? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. That's all the time we have. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for calling in from Florida. All right. Thank you.